This is an ABC podcast. There are several things that I, I wish I'd known about raising boys or raising a son before I actually did it. How much they eat, how much energy they've got as well. And uh, they can be very strong-willed. With my first boy, uh, I didn't really understand that and we clashed quite a bit. I've got two boys. They're six and nine at the moment. And the first one, uh, he's very gentle and introverted and he loves thinking deeply about things and reading books and um, spending time on his own. He's not particularly social. And then my next son is the complete opposite. He's a, a social butterfly and physically he's like a small whirlwind. They think about things differently to girls. So as a girl myself, you've got to go into a completely different mode and not try and think about things the way you would. You know, as they say, make it a little bit simpler. <laughs> yeah, boys are meant to be slug snails in puppy dogs' tails, but they're also quirky and funny and kind and sometimes very sensitive. And they can be so loving, especially to their mums and their pets. I'm a proud mummer of boys only, four awesome lads, now men, thank goodness. And there have been things I never thought I would say when I became a mummer of boys. Undies are not meant to be worn on your head. Now please stop putting peas up your bottom. Don't fart on my head and please put your brother down. <laughs> but as fun as boys are, there's also a serious side to raising boys, which I'll explore warts and all in our last episode for this season. So let's get to it. I'm Maggie Dent and this is Parental As Anything. So in our last episode, we looked at raising girls with Steve Bidoff. However, if you know anything about me, it's that I'm a boy champion. I am deeply passionate about raising our boys so that they can grow up to become good men. Not perfect men, good men. And so is Dr. Michael Gurian. He's an American marriage and family counsellor with a strong interest in neurobiology and brain research, or put simply, the difference between boys and girls. So Michael, what do you want us mums and dads of boys to know about raising lads? Well, I think uh, one big thing is for everyone to really study them as boys. By the way, I have two daughters, so this isn't a uh, male versus female or anything. You know, we should do it with daughters too, of course. We got to study their nature and nurture that. And as we see boys hitting 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and we see what their primary interest areas are. This one's into piano. This was into sports. This was into reading, you know, and hopefully they'll have two or three, obviously. That's that's the stuff to focus on. Really nurture that nature. Um, and if we see by 16 that that boy should be in vocational education, that that boy or that girl is not going to go to college, if we see that by 16, then we should start nurturing the vocational education for that boy and moving that boy into craft or art or artisanship because the nature of that child is the gold. Now, boys we know can struggle with bonding and forming of close relationships. So in a nutshell, how important is that boy's primary relationship with his, his mother? Oh, the uh, relationship with mom is is just huge. You know, it's, for instance, 
the main personality disorders that we in our profession, therapists, you know, are constantly working with, you know, those personality disorders are very much set in the first year to two of life if the child doesn't have that primary attachment with mom. And we do know that around six or 7% are dad who are the primary attachment. So we want to include dad there. And that primary attachment is the bedrock for that child's development. So we got to protect that primary attachment. And then we hit pre-puberty and puberty, and both males and females, obviously, all across the spectrum have to differentiate. They have to separate and individuate from mom. It's going to happen. And then boys, you know, at that time, they will start separating from mom. It's very healthy. It's fine. It's a good thing. If they don't separate from mom, they won't be as mature an adult. So that other big area is sort of the 8, 9, 10 till about, you know, 13, 14, 15. And that's really hard on moms. And it's especially hard on moms when these boys individuate. If they individuate and they don't have a healthy male or masculine system in place, like dad's gone, you know, they don't have other healthy male masculine systems. That's where we can often lose these boys. So for moms who are, you know, it's like single moms who don't have that system in place. What often has to happen is she needs to find those guys and or she needs to sort of try to be both. And that's hard on a, on a mom, especially if she's working two jobs and raising a bunch of guys. So my heart always goes out to moms in that situation. So what if there's a mum not in the picture at all? And I know there's some awesome dads out there who've raised amazing sons and daughters. Can it be just the art of mothering rather than it coming from a mother, you know, that nurturing and caring thing? Well, we want to say that any child can turn out well in any situation, you know, that there's no cardinal rule, no hard and fast rule. Statistically, kids turn out best when they have mom, dad, and that infrastructure, extended family around them. You know, then we start looking down at the various numbers. There's a lot of boys who have been raised without moms who turned out well. What dads will often do is they will naturally try to help the boy find a mom, and the boy will probably bond with, like female teachers or others, because he's looking for that mother bonding. And so I think you're right that the art of mothering is the art of mothering. And there is this mother bonding. There's just stuff that passes from female into children, just like there's stuff that passes from male into children. That's very valuable for resilience, maturation, emotional development. And so I think, you know, kids will seek it. Oh, so I remember reading somewhere that if you pick a baby boy up, he's more likely to look at a mobile past your head than your face, whereas if you pick a baby girl up, she'll lock onto the face. Right. And this early stuff is really what we start to build attachment with. By attachment, of course, I mean that incredibly strong sense of bondedness that is safe and predictable and warm between significant caregivers and their babies. So one of the concepts that I really want parents to understand is is this notion of attachment why it's so fundamentally important because little boys launch off their laps and they're racing around while often little girls are looking in your face lovingly and, and, and snuggling into you. So it's a really important thing that we need to prioritise it, even though it looks like it's not that important. Yeah, what, what boys tend to need is targeted. I like to say targeted attachment. So obviously what they need is general attachment, primary attachment. They need everything girls need. They need all the attachment that everyone needs. So like, for instance, and this is one of the places where mom and dad 
what I call bi-strategic parenting can be used. Often what moms tend to do is they tend to give more constant attachment or what we call long burst attachment, where like mom is talking to the child for like a half hour, that kind of thing. And fathers tend to give more quick burst attachment, targeted five minutes, 10 minutes, uh, or it's attachment while doing a task together or while playing a game together or something that doesn't look like attachment, but it's absolutely attachment, or it's attachment by throwing a child up in the air, trying to throw them higher, 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 which builds brain cells, which is really great for the child and which is a form of attachment. We don't have to overdo it. Like we don't, we don't have to think, oh my gosh, you know, every moment of the day I must be clutching my child. No, no. In fact, no. We don't want to be helicopter or lawnmower parents. That actually harms child development. But this good long burst and good short burst attachment, we can feel pretty confident that we as parents are doing our job. And then if we create an infrastructure around the boy of of activities, of school, of sports or of music or, you know, whatever the areas that their interests where where they bond with. Uh, three or four other people. And then, of course, they have a friend, uh, maybe another friend. They're bonding with these friends. If they have that attachment infrastructure around them, they're going to turn out fine. And sometimes I think it's um, not so much what we say, is it? It's what we do and what we show for, for boys. It's not always telling them a million thousand times that you love them. Yeah. What I'm finding is that, you know, there is still this kind of um, social conditioning that's basically a myth um, that boys are tough and somehow or other that girls are weak. And we're obviously shifting it at both ends. In actual fact, there's quite a lot out there now around the concept of male fragility. And, and I'd love you to unplug that a little bit for us. Well, yeah, yeah. Well said. Um, part of what the Y chromosome brings to the table is uh, it formats, it compels, while mom is carrying baby, the, the differentiation of male brain from female brain, and it formats that brain in utero to be male. And there are assets to that, like there are ways in which uh, the male brain is is a very resilient brain. So when it comes out and the child is developing, there's a lot, can be a lot of resilience there, especially when males do high risk things, which is kind of wired into male development to do high risk things, you know, jump off buildings into <laughs> into swimming pools and miss the swimming pool and all this stuff. And yet the guy, okay, I get back up, you know. So there's a certain resilience, um, but there's also the fragility. The Y chromosome itself is a more fragile chromosome than the than the X. And then the male brain, especially in social emotional development, that is an area of real fragility for the male brain. Our male brain does not have the fail safes for emotive development that the female brain has. So that means that if we don't nurture boys, if a culture, a society, parents, schools, you know, all of us don't nurture boys to grow up well, especially in areas of, of empathy development, of self-motivation, of self-confidence, if we don't do that, the male brain doesn't have as many fail-safes for it, whereas you can just sort of say to female brain, hey, uh, you know, it's time to be emotional now. And she has nine centers of the brain devoted to that. Males have two that we devote to that. And that's how that's what the Y chromosome does. It sets us up for that. But a liability is this fragility. So if we don't get the help, we can end up 20, 25, 30, and we don't have mature empathy. We have not developed mature emotive skills. So a lot of that really has to be taught by our society. Sometimes I think back to when my daughter was little and in our group of friends, there was it was mostly girls and there was one or two boys. And they were often 
you know, rough and hitting and occasionally biting. And the parents of the girls were just all horrified that a small child could behave like this. You know, 11 years later, I had a boy and then I had another boy and I rang up my friends who I'd been spending time with all those years ago and said, I'm sorry I didn't understand your your child. I just didn't understand that they're so intrinsically different. He had so much energy. I remember one of the building jobs he wanted to do in the backyard was he wanted to build a, a helicopter, a real helicopter. And I just said, oh, there's no way I can build a helicopter. And he was dead serious. And um, he felt very disappointed about that. A few years later, we gave him a bike because we knew he had so much energy. We gave him a push bike and he was just off and away. Their emotions tend to be a little bit simpler and that's not putting them down in any way, but they're either on or they're off. And when they're on, they can be quite rambunctious. And when they're off, it's about learning to give them space. Another thing that I think is really fascinating, you talk about uh, hormones and how that can make a little bit of a difference because I know that, you know, once again, we all want our boys to have fabulous friendships and to know how to get on with their siblings, but sometimes a little bit of a disadvantage to understand how to kind of bond. Can you tease out those those little differences a bit? Yeah, because males are testosterone-driven, um, our primary chemical is testosterone. We get 10 to 20 times the, the amount of testosterone through our bloodstream, therefore our brain. And it was that testosterone in utero that formatted the male brain to be distinct from female brain. So, so that testosterone is a huge deal and it's an aggression chemical. So while boys can be incredibly sensitive, non-aggressive, passive even, there are certainly a lot of passive men out there. That's all absolutely true. But when we speak in the aggregate and we study male and female behavior, what we see, of course, is that males tend toward more physical aggression. They tend toward more one-upping, more of that kind of verbal aggression. And the thing is, what people have often don't understand is that that is a key to attachment and bonding with males. Males are, they practice what I call aggression nurturance. They nurture each other and they nurture others through aggression, not by avoiding it, but going through it. And aggression is not violence. Violence is, is when one organism or person tries to destroy another or destroy another's core self physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, psychologically, that's violence. But aggression is not that. And and we unfortunately mix the two together. And I think it's part of why we tend to attack males, because we'll tend to say, well, they're aggressive. you know. And then someone like me will say, well, actually, that's great. But we need to know what we mean by aggression. Aggression means I'm challenging someone else. And so, okay, if you're going to be aggressive, okay, go ahead. But at the same time, you got to be sensitive. You got to read their facial cues and be sensitive to what they're feeling. If you can do that, okay, you're going to be all right. So when males form friendships, they form friendships very often around aggression bonding activities and by doing dangerous, aggressive things together, by pushing each other around physically, by throwing each other <laughs> around. Slapping, slapping, pushing, right. farting in each other's face, jumping on top of each other. Exactly. It is a really, really important thing for particularly mummers to understand, uh, Michael, because guys kind of get it. Oh, yeah, guys And get sometimes it. mums see there's an intention behind it to hurt. Yeah, for moms, I always say to moms, just look for the line between aggression and violence. If, if you see a boy cross a line 
And so let's say violence would be, here's an easy one. Uh, one boy punches the other boy in the face, obviously cross the line. That's violence. Even though he may have had a reason, we're going to still punish that. We're going to still say that's violence. You know, me as a parent, sorry, not part of our moral code. You're going to get grounded. So that's violence and that's crossing a line. But pushing a guy over a chair when we see that it's about bonding, when we see that they're working stuff out together, and when we see that it's about resilience building, and this is a hidden gem of aggression and aggression nurturance, and by the way, it works for girls too, we need to be resilient, we need our kids to be resilient, to develop resilience, and one of the primary ways that people in the world become resilient is because males are aggressive with them. And it's inchoate and unconscious. It's happening every minute, every hour. You know, someone is being aggressive with them, even a girl. And obviously, I don't mean sexual abuse or something like that. I mean what we're talking about. Someone is being aggressive with them, and they have to meet the challenge, right? If someone's being aggressive with me, it's a challenge, and I have to meet the challenge. And as I meet the challenge, I become more resilient. And over a period of years, I develop into a more resilient person. So for moms, I'm always saying, you know, you set the line. You're the mom. You have the authority. You set the line. Um, but everything that has, doesn't cross that line, uh, you know, look at that and see that maybe that's an asset and maybe it's building resilience and bonding and love. And it's just a kind of a way guys love. So what if we're watching boys, you know, play five or rough house and that and it's clear that there's always one who ends up on the receiving end and never pushes back. How would you respond to that one? Yeah, there are a number of sensitive boys out there. We estimate one in six to one in four, some people say, would come under the category of what's called a sensitive boy or a sensitive child. And that's a just obviously a word we use to try to differentiate these boys from the more sort of rough and tumble boys. So those sensitive boys, we have to really help the more aggressive boys to understand them, you know, and to be empathic toward them uh, and to sort of have a dual approach to them. One approach is keep keep doing the stuff you're doing as long as it doesn't cross the line because you, you know, a boy is trying to help the other boy to grow up, to be resilient. But then at the same time, you can't do it as much with this guy. Okay. And maybe like we have uh, five brothers, let's say, I'll make that up. And one of them is this very sensitive boy. Well, the family has to adjust to that. Okay. It's very clear. This guy is more sensitive. It's going to be to his advantage later in life. It's his nature. It's going to help him to be a great therapist later or a doctor or something. You know, this sensitivity is going to be really great for him. But we don't want to beat it down so that he completely recedes and becomes depressed. We want to uh, be sensitive to it and let him teach us the lesson. Let's say us, a more aggressive guy. Let him teach us the lesson of greater empathy. And it's interesting because that's one of the things the old male code kind of was portraying years and years ago, that the only way to be a boy or a man was to be tough. And that's one of the, the big messages we notice as as we are changing culturally. Uh, dads are different, aren't they? I mean, my three sons are the most loving, tender fathers. So this is allowing that vulnerability that at one point was shamed out of boys. And really, that's got a lot to do with failure. How do we teach today's boys it's okay to fail and to have those setbacks. Yeah. Well, you know, it's going to be all, I'm always an all and person. Uh, If one fails, one does feel weak. So, you know, if we're going to be authentic adults and authentic parents, we're going to say to them, I know you failed and you feel weak, you know, and I think it's really good to uh, mirror that back to them because it's real and it's really what they're feeling and it is weakness. So then we're going to probably say words in three areas. One is going to be, hey, I understand you feel like a failure. I was in that situation too. I felt like a failure too. I totally get that. 
So we're going to be authentic because he'll respect that and understand that. And then, you know, two is, of course, tell, tell me about it. Tell me about how it happened, what happened, what makes you feel this way. And hopefully he will, that will elicit some conversation. If it doesn't, we'll return to it. Three, okay, remember, you're not a failure. You as a person are not a failure, but you lack the skills to make this work. Uh, you did something here wrong, so it didn't work. Uh, so let's target that. And just always remember, you yourself are not a failure. Just like when I failed at this when I was 10, I as a human being was not a failure, but I did badly at this thing. And so then it's going to be, okay, let's problem solve it. What can you do uh, so that this doesn't happen again? Um, are we in a situation where, by the way, you may fail at this for a year, but you're going to ultimately succeed at this. And if so, let's let's understand that and we'll be here for you while you go through this. The only time I would worry about that boy who is failing a lot, um, you know, I would worry about him if he's not getting these signals from his parental infrastructure. And I would worry if he has become depressed. Now, depression, that's a clinical condition that's now going to trump, you know, everything we're saying. We're going to have to treat that depression. And I think, you know, um, they may have a tendency to want to compete to win, but also they want to do things um, to a point that they can see that they've done a good job, whether it's building some Lego or it's building a cubby or, a, you know, a den. So my challenge is when our boys transition into school environments, sometimes they need a little bit more time to be developmentally as ready as our girls. Uh -huh. So if a boy is, you know, struggling when he gets there because he can see the girl next to him is reading a full book and he's struggling with writing his full name, that can also lead to um, being put every single day in a situation that shows that somehow or other you haven't got what it takes. So that boy disengagement stuff is pretty big in lots of parts of our Western world. Yeah, the school system disengagement of males is very much on us as a society. We have to come to grips with the fact that we're in a system now that has, for a number of social trends reasons, and also because we're trying to educate so many kids in our classrooms, so we've moved toward uh, what we call a, a verbal literacy platform. We've moved away from the way the male brain learns, and we've moved much more toward what works for the female brain without, without our realizing it. And so we're leaving millions and millions of males out. Um, we don't understand their behavior patterns. We, you know, And a lot of boys are fine with the sort of middle-of-the-road behavior pattern where they sit still and they don't get in trouble. A lot of boys, fine for them. But our research shows that in a classroom of 30, let's say you have 15 boys and 15 girls, you have one girl who the teacher will say is sort of failing or not doing well or falling behind, but you're going to have five to seven boys. By the time they hit seventh grade, we got five to seven boys. The teacher is thinking, hmm, this child's underachieving. This child's not doing well. I'm having to send this boy to the principal, the vice principal, et cetera. That's a huge ratio and a huge gap. So what we've done is we go into schools and we train the schools in male-female brain difference, how boys and girls learn, and these schools show incredible success. So now the suspension or expulsion rates for males go down, the use of ADD meds, uh, discipline referrals to principal, vice principal go down, they go down, you know, like 500%. Uh, the grades for both boys and girls go up. So there's no harm here to girls in, in getting this training. It helps them. And then the test scores for both boys and girls go up. So one of the things I want to touch just briefly there before we move on is the importance of that relationship between a teacher and a, a boy particularly. We, and I just could not believe just how hard they would try for you if you'd shown that you cared. You know, that vulnerability again is if you care about me, then I'm going to try twice as hard. But if you look like you don't, 
then um, I'm not really, you know, I haven't got that much to invest in this. And that's a big one, isn't it? Right. Boys are looking for love and for respect. Um, obviously, girls are too. For boys, there's a, a, an even greater distinction between these two. Like, for instance, if a teacher is constantly, or, or a parent, if anyone is constantly praising a 12-year-old boy, the boy sees through it. The boy can tell, oh, well, okay, uh, you said great job to me 50 times. I don't really believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, are you really looking into me as a human being, me as a boy, me as me as a guy named Mike? Are you really looking into me and holding me to expectations for self-respect and of respect, holding me to expectations of performance, and then helping me to reach those expectations? If a teacher, parent, et cetera, is doing that with a boy, the boy feels respected. And once that boy feels respected, he is going to bend over backwards for that person. So it is very important that our, that all of us bond with boys as boys. And if we're constantly, you know, triggering them for failure and sending them to the principal because of stuff we don't know about them, then they're not going to work hard for us. Now, we've touched on gender and the differences in the male and female brain, but it's a really confusing time of change for both genders. The expectations of boys and their social conditioning is in flux and same with girls. So how do parents help their sons positively navigate some of these big changes? Well, one thing, obviously, is if you're there for your boy and you're helping your boy, you're doing most of it. If you've got mothering, you've got fathering, you've got Um, this other infrastructure of coaches, teachers, you know, all these folks who love and respect this boy and who are working with him. That in itself is ultimately the most important thing because most of the development of the boy uh, is not funneled through culture. Most of it is funneled through nature and nurture, which is the closer relationships, those five to 10 relationships. Now, in terms of the larger cultural dialogue, I'm always warning, let's say, those people, those five or 10 people who are really this boy's in the trenches with this boy, I'm always warning them, just saying, okay, watch for some these things. Like if you hear people uh, talking a lot about toxic masculinity, then then you kind of have to talk to your son and say, okay, now now wait a minute, you know, this is all going on out in the culture, and you know, here's our stance on it. Whatever our stance is, as a family, as a school, here's our stance on it. We know that masculine development is very important. We're not attacking it, and here's what we mean by it. Uh, you know, so in other words, we have to just have a dialogue with them about a a full understanding of what masculinity is, if we use that word, or what manhood is, or what male development is, whatever word we use with these guys. Um, we've got to be right there with them, explaining this stuff to them and with them and eliciting from them what they believe about what it is to be a boy, what it is to be a man, how, how they should be treating women, how re- women should be treating them, you know, uh, just have to have a full conversation over the years in which they're cognizant of all of this, eight, nine, 10, all the way through 16, 17, 18, so that we can help them to push against the negative trends out there, the kind of anti-male trends or the male abandoning trends out there. And then so that we can do our job to raise them from boyhood to manhood, because it is really us that does do the primary work 
of helping them to become men. And I think it's gradually unplugging some of those expectations again, you know, like a little boy runs up to hit a girl because he likes her uh, and you can have people going, oh, that's just boys being boys. Well, actually, in fact, no, that's a boy who hasn't got the ability to be able to express his affections for another girl in a way that doesn't hurt her or that's disrespectful. That's what I call emotional coaching and a chat rather than a need to accept that is actually normal. I really find that that journey to uh, manhood, you know, through adolescence is definitely shifting in the right direction to be able to nurture and guide our boys who might make some really dumb decisions um, at some point, but being able to know that they can be loved, respected, and they're going to turn out okay. So, Michael, thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. You're wonderful. I wasn't the kind of mother that held them onto those apron strings. They're not little mummy's boys, they never were. And I did that on purpose because I wanted them to be individuals. I wanted them to grow up and be themselves and develop their own skills, their own talents, their own desires. That was really, really important. My hopes for my boys are that they can really follow their hearts that they are encouraged with uh, the course that they're on and they find enjoyment and they find pleasure in what they're doing. I don't have hopes that they make a huge amount of money, but I do have hopes that they're fulfilled and that they're happy in their career and in their relationships and in their families. Something that I see lacking for... A lot of the men in my life is like a group of close friends. I guess I feel that, that that's something that I gained so much from in my life, from having a close group of friends. So one thing I do hope for them is that they can have really good friendships, whether they're with other men or with women. Something that I hope has become clear throughout this season of parental as anything is that raising children still takes a village. We all play a role in raising kids to be kind and respectful and to feel they belong. And when Dr Michael Gurian or any of my guests talk about mothering and fathering, they don't mean every home needs to have a specific mother and a father. Whatever the makeup of your household, find the trusted adults who love your kids, whether they be grandparents, aunts, uncles, best friends, teachers, guides, neighbours, Choose your village to help you raise your children. And in amongst that, you will have attributes of mothering and fathering. Now, these are the key needs for all of our kids, but especially our boys. Always remember the three Fs, fair, fun and firm. And you need to keep a really good balance with that. You can't be fun all the time without firm. You have to keep coaching your boys about what's fair Communication styles, remember, are really, really different. Your daughter will hear you mention that it's her turn to do the dishwasher four rooms away. But if your son is really busy doing a single focus activity and he's only just a metre from you, he didn't hear you. So keep in mind that every now and then, if we use too many words, our boys glaze over and can't hear us. They're not doing it deliberately. They're single focus, few words and you can get him to do stuff. Keep questioning the beliefs and perceptions around boys will be boys. Remember that teasing and banter is actually a part of boy-boy male communication. However, often it's completely inappropriate when it's targeted at a girl. 
and we need to coach our boys. What's okay? So calling them a derogatory name, which is cool in boy-man world, is really offensive in our girl world. So we need to have these conversations around where it's okay and where it's not okay and when they cross that line. Don't forget the power of the full belly and always have a box of dry biscuits in the car because they can get hangry at any second. And remember the sacred bonding potential of a well-timed fart. And that's a wrap on this season of Parental as Anything. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. I've had a fabulous time. And ta-da, great news. I'll be back in January 2020 with more practical tips and tricks for all you busy, busy parents. Next season, we'll help you get your kids ready for school. We'll find out the difference between healthy and unhealthy anxieties. We'll help them navigate friendships. And we'll talk about getting you and your precious family through grief and loss and trauma. So watch this space because I can't wait to come back. (laughs) Parental as Anything with Maggie Dent is a production of ABC Audio Studios. The series was mixed by Anne-Marie de Bredencourt. The consulting producers are Carmen Myler and Jane Curtis. Our field reporter is Anne-Marie Middlemast. Our producer is Kim Lester. The executive producer is Justine Kelly. And the head of ABC Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. meantime, check out one of our other podcasts about parenting. For a lighter point of view, I love Parental Guidance Recommended because seriously, you have to laugh about the highs and lows of parenting. Is Tom Gleeson a hard dad? So I used to be really delicate about these things, but I just say, look, you can play wherever you want, but not on that because if you go on that, it'll kill you. Does Adam Liao ever feed his kids wheat bix for dinner? If you ask my daughter, it would be broccoli. She, she often tells us that broccoli is the secret to why she's so cute. So look for Parental Guidance Recommended on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll catch you next year on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent. <laughs>